All right, here we go. Go ahead, Papa. All right. Uh, dear Jesus, I just thank you for this day. I just pray that as we sit here on um, Valentine's Day, we realize how much you love us. Um, I just thank you for this group of people here, and I pray that over mine because he gives a word, and whatever he says, mm. that it soaks into us, and that it's coming straight from you uh, through him. Mm-hmm. I just pray that um, we are able to focus and just enjoy it. We don't take moments like this for granted. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thank you so much, and in your name, amen. 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 All right. We're going to be in numbers, and you necessarily don't have to go there um, yet. And, you know, the thing is, you can see these chess pieces that are set up. I, I thought it would be cool. I don't know how to play this game. I mean, it was just this past week that I even learned that you set these 16 pieces up in this particular fashion you know you got the the rook and the knight and the bishop and the king and the queen and, and then these pawns that are out here and so there's 16 of those and you set them up on the board in a particular way and you go against the opponent and probably the closest I ever got to play in this game as a kid is that you know these kind of guys they kind of look like kind of looks like war stuff doesn't it? Kind of soldierish, you know, this guy, this horse. He can go in and just plow somebody over. You know, so that's what I did with it. I was going like, that's that's nothing like checkers. So I never did learn how to play that game. And so when I'm setting this up and I'm looking at it and, and I start reading just a little bit about the game, I'm thinking that a woman must have invented it. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you what that means. Because because it's a great game. That's why, right? It's a it's a fabulous game, brilliant. But for some reason, in this game, the king is pretty much just on the board. He just he just kind of sits there in comparison to the queen, who gets to move all over the place. She can move diagonal. It seems like just jump all over and. So it had to be a woman that invented this game because the king is left lame, you know. And I'm, so that's okay. Still a fabulous game. I don't know how to play it. But the thing that has struck me, and, and so here's how all this came about, so you'll know, is that I'm leaving the Mac one day and I'm going out the back hall. And so my times in the Mac really are cool connections with me and Jesus just to chat and I'm going down the back hall, and I see this guy's got his game set up in his room. And I'm looking at that, and I'm going, you know, I never have played that game. And then the next thought that came to me was, I wonder how many possible moves there are in the game of chess. That was the next thought. And so I got in the car, and I asked Siri. And there's 318 billion billion possible moves in the first four moves in this game. 318 billion. Now you got to put that in perspective, right? I had to. There's only 300, there's probably 365 million, that's with an M, million people in America. 318 billion 365 million means that we would have to populate U.S. over 800 times to get to the possible moves that can be had in this game in the first four moves. 
So you're still not there. So there's 7.5 billion people in the world. But there's 318 billion possible moves in this game in the first four. We would have to populate the world over four times to get to how many? 300 and how many? 18 billion. So it makes total sense to me now that when I see people ever playing this game that they're doing this. That they're just staring. I know why. Especially in the early part of the game. There's 318 billion possible moves, and I think that's like our life. I think so many times that in our life, man, that we'll get to these points that we want to take these next steps, and then we look out over the horizon, and to us it feels like, I've got 319 billion possible moves, and I'm paralyzed. And so I'm just sitting there, and I'm just staring. And so all these thoughts start coming into our mind about, I think deep down we do know what the next move or next step that we want to make. But let's see if any of us can get in this, in this same boat with one another, especially with folks that we're living life with. And the fact is that we, if we know what that next step is, do we ever wonder what someone's going to say into it if we do that step? We say, if I make this step here, Bivo, then these guys do bump, 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 bump. We don't know that. But we sure project that out to try to figure out what's the safest route. Which way can I go? And all the while we're stopped. And we've not moved anywhere. And so what I thought would be kind of cool tonight is that we find an example that's in numbers and I'm just going to kind of give you the background story of it and just, and just tell it to you in a story, okay? And let you kind of live life with a couple of guys that were here with the 318 billion possible moves. It could be really what you wrote if you were here at the, at the very first of the year for us is that we had everyone to write out, what do you not want to drag into 2015? And so whatever that is, I've got to take my first step in trying to accomplish that I'm not going to drag that into 2015. And for some, you may have written that down on the envelope and have given it a second thought, and you're staring at your 319 or 18 billion possible moves. Okay? Here's some of the things I think that stop us. And then we're going to take a look at the guys. What will, my, what will the people around me think? Do we ever bring our past experiences into this moment? Have we ever been one to judge what someone has done in their step, seeing that that's the step that we need to take? And therefore, we, we will just stop ourselves. What if we're unwilling to share that we need help in taking the next step? And all along, knowing that not moving is a decision in itself. So here's the scene. We're in numbers. By this time, when you look into numbers, you've, 
it's called that for a reason. <laughs> they're counting. Good night, man. If you go through that, they're counting. They're sectioning people off. Go count this bunch. Moses, go count this bunch. And so God is talking to Moses through the people. And He's doing it as He did when He first brought them out of captivity. They were enslaved. And a year ago, He brought them out of captivity. And they've lived in freedom for a year. And they're still learning how to do that. Alright? So numbers 1 through all the way up to 10, they're sectioning people off. And the number of people total that they have is 600,000. It's a lot of people. And so a lot of times, if you're like me, I'm reading these, these scenes in, in Scripture, and, and when they talk about community, I'm thinking it looks like this. But in this setting, when God through Moses is talking to the people, Moses is responsible for communicating to 600,000 people. He needed help. And so they set the 12 tribes up. If you go back and read, you'll see all these 12 tribes. There's leaders within those tribes. They name them out, name by name. And man alive, for me right now, a lot of times it's kind of like flyover Scripture. You see where there's going to be these long lists of names and you just kind of say, whoop, I'm going to fly over that and get to the next scene. When you do have time, go back and read those. And see the names that start popping off for you. Okay? What God is doing is that He is moving them ever closer to the land that He promised them through Abraham. It's the promised land. And God is saying, look Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your people and I want you to move them here. And I want you to stay there that long until I tell you to move. And how He was telling them to move was the cloud. And whenever the cloud would start moving, there were painstaking details on the logistics of tearing down the tent, which was called the tabernacle, which was the what we call worship barns. It was the place of worship. And it was painstaking detail on how you did that, when you did it, how you set it up, how you purified it, how you made it ceremonial clean, who was unclean and who wasn't. And it just makes me all the more thankful, guys, when I do go back and read this on the left-hand side of the book, that I'm ever so thankful for the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. Amen. We cannot measure up to that. It was a weight that there was no way that they could bear. And so no wonder at times you see a people that are just mired down and staring at their 319 billion possible ways. But the one thing is, is that there's two words that trump the 319 billion. God said. And we're going to see in the midst of this because see now, God is wanting to move them to this land called Canaan. And He goes up and He tells Moses, He says, hey Moses, go get you 12 people out of the 600,000. Get 12 people and I want you to go scout out this land called Canaan. And He does it. And there's two old boys that are in the midst that are called, their name's Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb. And I just, I love the name of Joshua, son of Nun. Joshua, son of Nun. Does it kind of have a Dr. Seuss feel to you? Why, there's Joshua, son of Nun. I'm his son. Son of one. <laughs> I mean, you know, you can kind of keep going with that, right? But here they are. 
And they're among ten others. So put yourself in the setting that you're among ten leaders or ten people that you respect like crazy. And so there's twelve of you and you've been told to go scout out Laverne. (laughs) Or you've been told to go scout out Arrington Vineyards. Luscious up there, right? It is sweet in Arrington Vineyards. And you've been told to go scout that out And after 40 days, you come back and give us a report on what you see. Now, God said, I'm already going to give you the land, but you've got to engage in the process. It starts eliminating some of the 318 billion possibilities of out there. When I narrow it down to God said, they go, and for 40 days, they stay over there in Canaan. And it's luscious. Because you see, it has everything that they had been complaining about not having the year before. You see, they came out of captivity and they didn't know how to live in freedom and they were hungry. And so God started providing for them manna. Just literally out of heaven, manna. And it was like a, we would, it was like a little yellowy white substance that would fall on the ground every day. You'd have to go out and pick it up and eat it. And they started complaining about it. They started complaining about the food that was given to them. And so they're going over into this land of the very thing that they're wanting, and it's plentiful. And so for 40 days they come back, and it's so plentiful, there's, there's even a record of it saying that the grapes, the grapevines were so big, it took two of them to carry them back to Moses and the other people and say, man alive. It's everything God said. It is. And in the midst of all that, ten of them go, no way. Not doing it. It's too much. Joshua, son of Nun, Caleb, did you not see how big those people were over there? Did you you not see how powerful they looked? We're not going. And Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb are going ballistic. They literally are tearing their clothes and going, but God said, God God said that we should go. And so here's the thing. Here's where I want us to stop just for a second. Put yourself in that scene. All of them have seen every miracle that Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb have experienced. What's the difference in them? Why did the ten come back fearful and with what ifs, and Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb said, it's on. Let's take it off of them for a second. What about us? How many times have we allowed someone, what I call background noise, chatter into us with the what-ifs and the fear, and it makes us put the brakes on? Before we had the conversation with anybody, it was full steam ahead. We were like Joshua and Caleb. We've got this because God said. I know without a shadow of a doubt, I've been in my prayer closet, God has spoken to me, and I am going to do this. And then you come and start sharing that with people, and they put the what-ifs on you. And you go, well, maybe I should come back here. 
Maybe, maybe I shouldn't be that. Can any of us relate to that? And so in that moment, gang, just as a reminder, we have elevated that person, those people, above the authority of God said. And so here's Joshua and Caleb literally within 600,000 people that have said, we're in. Because see, the ten spread it like wildfire. Bad news travels fast, doesn't it? And it traveled with this bunch. And so the whole community said, heck with it. We're with y'all. We're not going. We respect you. You're leaders. And Joshua and Caleb said, we're going. And guess who the only two were able to go? Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb. Because see, this makes me all the more thankful for the right-hand side of the book where Jesus Christ has emptied the tomb and empowered us. Because see, God at that moment, if you didn't do exactly what He said, it was not a good day for you. And so the ones that said, no, we're not in. We're going to what if it. We're going to live in fear. They had to stay back. And God said, you're going to stay back. And for every day that the boys were over there scouting the land, which was 40 days, that's going to be a year for each day that you're going to spend back here wandering. 40 years tacked on to them. Thank God that God said, for I love the world, I'll send my son. And so here's the rest of the story. Where would you be in the twelve? Be real honest with yourself in this moment because I believe I know where you would be. I believe that you're the two of the twelve. I believe that you are the Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb. But you're living life with folks that are the ten. And you're trying to make them be Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, and it's difficult. Can you imagine the frustration of Joshua and Caleb when the ten? Can you imagine them going up and saying, Dude, are you kidding me? Wait a minute. On the way over here, we were all in agreement. We were going to do this. We don't know that those conversations happened, but we don't know that they didn't. There's a lot of conversation that had to happen from when they were over there and saw everything that they wanted to when they got here and something happened to them. How did it creep in so fast? How did they elevate them up? Well, here's how we stop. When I was preparing for this and looking at the 318 billion possible ways, I started, not research, I was Googling. (laughs) Best ways to make a decision. Healthy decision making. How to not make bad decisions. How to not be a dum-dum. How to have everyone love your decisions. Any and everything I could possibly think of, I started throwing in there and going, Lord, how do we get through 318 billion possible ways? How did Joshua and Caleb stay firm in their position? 
And one thing did start coming up time and time again. Not all the time, but when I would see lists that came out, there was these two words that, would, that I would see. Gut instinct. And I went, hmm. Gut feeling. It was on their list. These are secular lists that I was looking at. And I went, I think they might be onto something. Some of us may refer to it as mother's intuition or a woman's intuition. Had a hunch. Had a feeling. Where, have any of us ever had said that? And how many of us have ever said this after something has happened? I knew it! I knew that was going to happen. But we were fearful to speak it out. That we sat in silence and watched it happen. Have any of us ever done that? And so I do think that they're on to something in the gut feeling. I want you to, I want you to take a look at this. Because I do believe that Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb believed their gut when God said. Here's the definition of the Holy Spirit without the holy. This is just the definition of spirit. It's the Greek word pneuma. Okay? Listen to this, gang. It's the vital principle by which the body is animated, moves. I gotta say that again. The vital principle, the Holy Spirit, part of the triune God, is moving. It's animated. Something tangible. It in, it's the influencer of actions and in charge of the soul. Who's influencing our actions? The others, the ten leaders, are God said. Numa. This is my next step. But Bivo, did you think about this? But God said. And sometimes, if you've been like me in the past, please don't do this, gang. Please don't do this. Please don't do this. Please don't do this. I've been very careful about saying those words anymore on God said. Because I realized that I was using those two words at times to keep you at arm's distance. Because I just thought if I said God said, you wouldn't speak anything back into that. Please don't do that. You better make doggone sure that Numa, the Holy Spirit within you, is speaking that out when those words come out. Please. And don't flinch from it. Here's the last piece. I do want you to go to this and eyeball this. Who is the influencer of the actions and in charge of your soul? Look at Galatians 5. First verse is 16. This is how we get through our 318 billion possible moves is that we narrow it down to the one through who? The one. The one in you. The Him within. We narrow down all of those possibilities down to one because guess how many steps I can make at one time? That's it. I can only do one step at one time. And then it's my next one. 
So I'm not, I don't have to worry about the 300 millionth one. I just got to worry about the next one. I just got to see the next one and allow the pneuma, the Christ living in me, to move me to the next one. Then before you know it, you've gone through 319 billion ways and steps to get where God said to go. Here's where it says it. It's in verse 16. It says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide it means to walk, to make one's way. It's gonna, we're going to move our pieces here. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. In verse 25, And since we are living by the Spirit, the one that walks, guides, makes our way, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. You'll be in pretty good company with Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb. And so here's the last thing, gang. Look at this. You see this king that we said that has not much in it in this game of chess? The king that we have in us trumps it all. You are equipped to make those steps through the Jesus inside you. The Him within conquers it all. Father, thank You for this time. I thank You that You have equipped each and every one of us with You when we say yes to You. So Lord, as we finish up tonight and sing and and pray and, and Father, celebrate with each other through the the breaking of the bread and the and of the cup, that we are reminded, God, that You satisfied all of those rules and the regulations so that You could indwell Yourself within us, a living tabernacle. So we're going to celebrate that big tonight. Father, thank You for obliterating the 319 billion possibilities and helping us tonight narrow it down to one. Through You, the One. Lord, we love You. And we know You love us because there's a tomb that just screams it out big time. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.